Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, it is great to be with you here this morning on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning that we have. Um, it almost feels like spring out there today, so I'm, I'm really excited about that, which means, of course, spring training baseball, which I'm also really, really excited about. So, <laughs> I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Um, <laughs> But guys, it is great to be here with you this morning, and thank you to Jason for uh, taking some time to, to kind of bring the church up to speed on where we're at. Um, and I hope that you guys are just as excited as I am about this new step that our church is going to be taking as we get ready to, to move forward with, with whomever that may be um, that's going to be able to lead our church kind of in the next into the next generation, into the future of our church. So I know I'm really excited. I hope that you guys have been praying about that and thinking through that. And of course, if you have ideas, questions, concerns, please see our elders. I know that they actually welcome that feedback. So if you've been with us for the last four weeks, I just finished a series on community, and I got a lot of really great feedback from that. So thank you guys so much for that. I think that was an important piece um, for us to stop and take a look at as we get ready to move into this next this next phase or this next step that we're in. Transition can always be a little bit scary, um, but it's also really exciting as well. So that being said, we've completed our community series and we're gonna launch into a new series this morning um, that's gonna be a little bit different. Um, I actually thought I had three weeks to do this series and then I found out just a couple of days ago after I'd already done the preparation for this, I only have two weeks to do this series. So we are gonna do three weeks worth in the next two weeks and we're gonna get through it and it's gonna be awesome. So I was talking to uh, Debbie Oldham here a while back, and she had mentioned that it'd be really cool if we could do some lessons based on Bible stories. And I took that to heart, and I came up with a new, a new series that I want to, to go over and share with you guys this morning. And we're going to be talking about lenses. And for me, lenses are a part of my daily life because I wear contacts, and unfortunately now that I'm old, I wear reading glasses. And you get the idea. We need those things to help us kind of see clearly. And we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Joseph is a fascinating story. And it's not just the things that we might always think about. But what we're going to look at is there are so many takeaways from the story of Joseph that we can apply to our daily lives. So that's what we're going to dig into. And today we'll do part one and we'll do the kind of the first half of the story. And then next week we'll do part two and we'll kind of wrap this all up with this whole the whole concept of lenses. So I'm excited to share this with you, with you guys. So let's go ahead and dive on in and see what we're looking at. So we're going to be in the book of Genesis. So if you want to open up your Bibles, because I would love for you to follow along with me, we're going to start off the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, and we're going to start out in chapter 37. It says that Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. It says, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with, <clears throat> excuse me, with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zippah, and his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So, as we see, as we open up, we see a little bit about what Joseph's family life would have been like. And this kind of gives us that initial lens that we're going to look at this story through. And that's the fact that if you notice something in that scripture, Joseph had, was one of 12 brothers and sisters. So he had a huge, huge family. And if you noticed in that scripture that we just read, his father's wives, plural, so his father had multiple wives. So 
Joseph comes from kind of an interesting background. He comes from this huge, huge, huge family of 12 kids and two moms and a dad. That's important because we have to understand the backstory of who Joseph was and where he came from if we're truly going to understand the rest of Joseph's story and how God uses him in a really powerful way. So I want you to, as we look through this again, I want you to look through that lens of Joseph having this huge family. And I'm assuming there's probably some weird family dynamics going on there. He's got not one mom, but two moms and a dad and all these brothers and sisters. Now, I come from a small family. It's just me and my brother. I don't have a whole lot of cousins. I, my whole family, my family's small. My dad's family's small. My mom's family's small. So it's hard for me to relate to this huge family that Joseph comes from, but I can't even imagine having 11 brothers and sisters. Now, I fought with my brother plenty growing up because my brother and I are very, very, very different individuals, and we really do have very little in common. About the only thing my brother and I relate to is hockey. We both are hockey fans. Outside of that, that's where it starts and stops. So I can't really relate to this, but I think it's important to understand where Joseph comes from, and then next week we're going to find out where Joseph ends up. So he comes from this, this very large family. Now, as we continue and we pick up the next scripture, is going to be Verses 3 and 4 in chapter 37, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. It says, When his brothers saw that the father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So, this is probably what a lot of us think of when we think of the story of Joseph, right? We think of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I know we have some theater folks here with us today, and I'm sure that they are very familiar with that show. But there's a lot more to the story of Joseph than just this fancy, ornate robe that he had. But, but again, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about this. So Joseph was the favorite son. Now, my brother is not here to dispute this, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I am my father's favorite son as well. <laughs> and I know that as parents... We don't have favorites, right? Right? And we're just going to let Carter go on thinking that, that we don't have favorites. But the bottom line is, in this case, of the, of the, of the 11 other brothers and sisters, Joseph was the favorite. So there are some things that go along with that. Now, I know that in my family growing up, and again, I was a family of two, my brother and I and my parents, there was a lot of put give and take and who's the favorite and what's going on here and all that kind of good stuff. And at times, I'm sure I was the favorite. And at times, I'm sure I probably was not the favorite as well. But Joseph was the favorite. And that's where the story of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat comes from, right? Because he was the favorite, his father gave him this robe and his father treated him differently. And again, this is what kind of sets the stage for where we're going with this story. So let's go ahead and continue in verses five through seven. And it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. 
we continue in verse 8, it says, His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. It said, Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Okay, so we've got Joseph. He's one of the younger sons, and we know that because it says that he was born to his father in his old age. So imagine your younger sibling coming to you and saying, guess what? I had a dream, and in this dream, I'm basically going to rule over you. And you can imagine how that made the older brothers and sisters feel, right? They're like, what? What are you talking about? There is no chance that that's going to happen. Because you also have to remember the time and the place, right? Because when we study the Bible, it's important that we understand the context. And kind of, you have to look at what, what was the time like when this book was written? And who was it written to? And what was the time and place? And we have to remember that especially back in these times, right, it was all about being the oldest and having the birthright. So here you've got the youngest son, or one of the, or I think he had one, old, one younger than him. So one of the youngest sons saying, hey, guess what, guys? I'm going to be the boss, and you guys are going to be nothing. Now, remember what we talked about a few minutes ago, right? His brothers already hated him. So do you think this went a long way towards repairing those relationships? I'm going to guess probably not. If they already hated him, and now he's saying, and guess what? I'm going to rule over you one day. This is where we come into this idea of pride and of boasting. Now, the issue isn't that Joseph had these dreams, right? Because these dreams came from God. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, is the way he went about sharing this information with his brothers and how he went about it. Because remember, they already hated him. And all he's doing is taking the proverbial gasoline and throwing it on the fire and making them hate him even more. Now, we talk about the fact that in the Bible, when we're reading a passage of Scripture like this, when you see the same thing repeated over and over and over again, it means that we're supposed to pay attention to it. And we've been told three times now that his brother hated him even more. So this anger is starting to build up inside of them. And they're getting more and more frustrated with Joseph as they go along. So what's the lens that we're looking at here? Okay, Joseph just found out that he's going to reign over his brothers. So he's looking at that long-term lens of something that God has told him or God has come to him in a dream and told him. He's looking at that long-term lens. But what lens do you think his brothers are looking at? They're looking at the short-term lens, right? They're getting fed up. I've had enough. I'm sick and tired of him. I'm sick and tired of him being the favorite. I'm sick and tired of him getting the fancy robes. I'm sick and tired of him telling us he's going to rule over us, right? So they're getting tired, and they're getting frustrated. And for those of you who know the story, you know where we're going with this. But we got to think about, what is everybody thinking in this process? See, we can't just read these stories and take them at face value and go, okay, that's a cool Bible story. We've got to really spend time to understand the story, and then we got to apply that and say, what is God not only trying to teach the people at this time and at this place, but what's he trying to teach me? What can I learn from this passage? Because it's great to read the Bible. And we should be reading the Bible. Because if you're not in the Word, then how do you know what God expects of you? And how do you build that relationship with Jesus Christ if you're not in the Word? But more importantly, we can't just read it like a book. We can't just turn pages and say, did my reading today, I read 10 pages. Did my reading today, I read a chapter. 
Well, that's great, and that's what we should be doing. But are we taking the time to really read and understand and apply the Bible? Because if we're not, we're missing the point. It's not just a novel, right? It's a manual for our lives, and we have to treat it as such. So we've got to take the time to read into things. So we've got to look at these lenses that they're looking at, and what were the things that were going on in their mind so we can truly understand this story as we go forward. Now, is Ken in here, Ken DeBose, or is he outside? He is in here. This is going to look very, very familiar to you, Ken, because I've heard you say this at least 50 times since I've known you. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. It says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So Ken likes to say, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And I've probably heard him say that at least 50 times since I've known him. Maybe more. But, but what, how do we apply this to this story that we're looking at? Joseph got this dream from God. So he got it on good authority. And we assume that if God told him, then it's something that is to be. But the way he went about telling his brothers, was that probably the right thing to do? Was that probably the most beneficial way for him to rebuild relationships with his brothers and sisters? To say, ha ha, I'm going to be your boss one day. No, it's probably not. And we talked a lot, when we talked last week about discipleship, what were we talking about? We're talking about not bragging about our faith, but what? Doing it in love. And that's exactly what this scripture is saying is just because we can doesn't mean we should unless it's for the good of others. So another lesson that we learn from Joseph is his approach could have been very, very different. And how do we apply that? Our approach should be different, right? We shouldn't be talking down to people. We shouldn't be demeaning people. That's not the way Jesus talked to people. And if we're to truly model Jesus, then we need to talk to people the way that Jesus did, and that was through love. But see, Joseph, for a minute, forgot about that because he got excited, right? He got excited about this opportunity that he has because he thinks one day he's really going to rule over his brothers. So he's all excited, and he can't wait to tell them, and he does. Uh, It doesn't end well for Joseph, as we all know. So let's jump ahead. Now, this next part is a little long, so I didn't put it on the screen because I don't want to give you a headache. But you can either follow along with me in Genesis 37, verses 18 to 28, or you can simply listen. So this is what happens next. This is after the dream. It says, But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. It says, Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. It says, When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. It says their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? It says, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. 
So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So let's just be honest. Up to this point, Joseph has not been great to his brothers, right? He has not been the kind, the loving, relationship-building brother that maybe we want him to be. But I'm going to argue he probably didn't deserve to be thrown into a hole in the ground either. So again, we're talking about lenses. So what was the lens that his brothers had? Hey, we're tired of him. Let's get rid of him. Now, thankfully, they do come to their senses a little bit, thanks to Reuben, who says, wait, wait, maybe we don't kill him. Maybe we just throw him in a hole and basically leave him for dead. But they're not going to physically kill him at this point. So they do. They take his robe and they throw him into the cistern. And then they get greedy, right? They see this caravan coming by and these folks are headed to Egypt and they're like, hey, I'll bet I could sell him to these guys as a slave. Because we have to remember that back in this time, slaves were a very common thing. So they did. They sold him for 20 shekels to this caravan that was coming by. So again, we're talking about lenses, right? So let's look at the lens. What do you think Joseph is thinking at this point? Here he had just been given a dream from God that he's going to be this high and mighty ruler and he's going to rule over people and he's going to rule over his brothers and all of a sudden, this is his view. He's sitting in the bottom of a cistern, which is basically an empty well. Joseph's probably thinking, wait a minute. What's going on here? This is not what God told me it was going to be. This is not at all how this was supposed to work. I'm supposed to be this powerful ruler. I'm my daddy's favorite, and now God is going to use me in a huge way. And here I am at the bottom of the well. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how that Joseph reacted at this point in time. It doesn't give us the specifics. All we know is that he was thrown into this well and that he was sold as a slave, but it doesn't really go in to tell us how did Joseph react to all of this. But we do know, spoiler alert, and I'm not going to give away the end of the story because we're going to get to that next week, but we do know that it says at the end of Joseph's story that he was faithful to God through the rest of his life. So here he is. You ever been promised something? You ever been promised a job? You ever been promised something of value? And all of a sudden you had that stripped away from you? How does that make you feel? You ever had that job that you were like, I am getting this promotion. It's mine. My boss is already hinting about it. I've been working my tail off for it. I'm getting this job. And all of a sudden, they give it to the guy sitting next to you. And you're like, hello, what just happened? Well, that's probably exactly what Joseph is going through. But we know that Joseph remained faithful. Because the Bible tells us that he remained faithful throughout. See, Joseph is this great example of we all have these things in mind, right, of the way our life is going to go and the things that we're going to do. And you know what they say, if you ever want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans, right? But we think, we think our life is going to go this way, right? I'm going to have 2.5 kids and I'm going to have a dog and a cat and I'm going to have a Land Rover and I'm going to have a big house. But guess what? What does life really do? It does this, right? It's not a straight line. Joseph is the perfect example of this. He thinks he's on the fast track to wealth and power 
and instead he finds himself at the bottom of a well and being sold by his very own flesh and blood. Has that ever happened to you? I bet it has. Because we've all had setbacks, right? We all think life is going great. I got money in the bank. I got food on the table. And then, boom, what happens? You get sick. Your car breaks down. Something happens, right? There's always going to be bumps in the road. But Joseph is that great example of, look what happened to him. He was thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery. But yet he didn't let his faith go. And he didn't stop believing in God. So let's pick up the next kind of long verse here for us in Genesis 39, verses 1 through 20. And again, it's not on the screen, but if you want to turn to Genesis 39, 1 to 20, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Now, I'm going to stop right there for just a second. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. So that tells me that when he was in that pit and when he was sold out of that pit, he still had faith because the Lord was still with him, which means he still believed. Pick up in verse 3, it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Now, his attendant which means he would have been kind of a, a right-hand man to Potiphar, right? He would have been assisting probably in the palace. He would have been, had a, a position of some authority with Potiphar at this point. So it says, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So Joseph's no longer a slave. Now... He's been entrusted with everything that Potiphar has. It says, From the time he put him in charge of the household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. It says, The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. So he says, look, the Lord is obviously with you, and the Lord is taking care of you, so I'm going to give you more. Does that sound familiar? We see that throughout the Bible, right? He entrusts us with a little, and when we do well with that, we get more. So we continue. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. It says, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. It says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. It says, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. So she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When he saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants and said, look, she said to them, 
This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. It says she kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him the story that the Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. It says when his master heard the story, his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So what do we see? We see lenses, right? He's been put in charge of everything in the, in the household. And what happens when people start to get a little power and start to get a little recognition? What happens when we're doing really good things for the kingdom? That's when we start getting attacked. Right? Because now we're doing something good, we're a target. And that is when Satan comes in and says, you know what? Things are going too good for you right now, so let me throw a wrench in the works and let me see what I can do. Joseph, I, I love what he does in this story, because not only does he not do it, of course, but I love the fact that it says when she came to him and asked him to go to bed with her, he ran from her. Doesn't just say, well, he sat and had a conversation with her. He ran from her. Isn't that exactly what we're supposed to do when we face temptation? And when we face sin, we run from it in the opposite direction, right? Because sometimes we want to just kind of, kind of put our foot in the water a little bit, just kind of test the water, see how it is. Oh, it's not so bad. No, that's not what Joseph did, and that's not the example that we're given. The example is that he ran the other direction, and that's exactly what we have to do. See, we, we can't, you can't play both sides of the fence. You're either following God or you're not, and we can't go back and forth. And that's why I love that Joseph ran. He ran the other direction. Because, guys, it's not a fact of if we're going to be tempted. Right? We're going to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. It's a matter of when will we be tempted. And what will we do in response to that? Will we just conform to the ways of the world and say, eh, not that big a deal? Or will we do like Joseph did and turn around and run the other direction and say, no, Satan, not today. That's not happening. I, see, I just love the story of Joseph because there's so many good things, and we, we could do a whole lesson on each one of these individual stories from Joseph, but unfortunately, we just don't have the time to do that. So Joseph did the right thing. Have you ever done the right thing and gotten the wrong result? Because that's exactly what happened to Joseph. He did the right thing. He ran the other direction. He did not do anything with this woman. But what happened to him? Got put in prison. He didn't get that immediate reward. On the flip side, he actually got punished for doing the right thing. Do you ever feel that way? You ever feel like, hey, I did the right thing? I was honest in my dealings at work, but somebody else got the promotion. I used to run into that all the time. Most of you know I used to be in sales a long time ago, and I worked commission-only sales. And commission-only sales is just not a great place to be because there were people who were willing to lie, cheat, steal, and sell their soul to make a sale. And I wasn't willing to do that, which is why I'm not in sales anymore. 
But it used to drive me crazy to sit there, because we worked in Cubicle City, right? So I could hear the next five people around me having their conversations. And it used to make me absolutely crazy to hear them lying to customers to get a sale and then getting rewarded for that with bonuses and raises and promotions. But we have to make that decision, right? Because just like Joseph, we have to say, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And I'm willing to accept my consequences. You know, as Christians, we don't always get to do exactly what we want to do. Because that's not the way it works. Because just like Joseph in this situation was using his long-term lens, right? He says, I'm not going to sin against God. Because he knew that that doesn't lead to the road that he wants to be on. He could have said, let me put my short-term glasses on and let me just go and take care of this with her and I'll worry about the rest later. But he didn't do that. He said, let me keep my long-term lenses on. Let me keep my distance glasses on. I'm going to ignore this thing right in front of me because my eye is on the prize and my prize is heaven and if I go against God's will, I'm not going to get there. And that's exactly what we have to do. We can't take off those long-term lenses. We have to leave them on. Because otherwise, we get bogged down by the things of today, and we get distracted from what we're trying to do, which is to follow Jesus. And that is the whole key to this story of Joseph, is no matter what happens to Joseph, he's still looking at the long-term lens, right? He came from a rough family background, okay? Did that stop him from doing God's work? No, because he didn't use that as an excuse. He didn't say, well, I had a tough family life. So you know what? I'm not going to do that. His own brothers threw him into a pit and sold him as a slave. Did he take off the long-term lenses and say, you know what? I guess God was wrong. He lied. He's not doing that for me anymore. So I'm just going to wallow in my own self-pity because woe is me. No. And because he was faithful, God rewarded him in the palace. And guess what? Just when he thought things were going down the road he had been told, and just when he thought God was fulfilling his promise to him, what happened? Temptation comes in, and he had a choice to make. And he made the right choice, and he said, God, I'm not going to go against God. I'm not going to go against Potiphar, my boss, and I'm not going to go against God's word. I'm going to keep my long-term lenses on and understand that God still has a plan for me. And that is the whole key to this story, is that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And there are going to be things that are going to happen that are going to distract you from that path. And they're going to try and steer you off of that path. And we're going to, we're going to say things like, God, what, what happened? This is not what I thought you had in mind for me. But just like Joseph, we have to remember that he does have a plan for us. And we know that he loves us, but we have to do our part. And we have to be faithful. And we have to keep walking down that path. And every time we get knocked down, we get back up and we keep going down the path. Because that's what it's all about. We're not promised an easy path, right? We're not promised an easy path. But what are we promised? We're promised that it's going to be worth it in the end. And that's exactly where Joseph is in the first part of our story. Is he knows that it's going to be worth it in the end if he continues to be faithful to God. So I threw a lot at you. <laughs> because again, I'm trying to cram three sermons into two sermons. So some takeaways that I want you guys to think about as you move forward this week and as we get ready to start the second half of this next week. Regardless of our beginnings, God can still use us. Regardless of where you're at in your life right now, whether you're 
14 or 84, God still has a plan for your life. And he can still use you, and he still wants to use you. And guess what? It's never too late to figure out what it is that God wants to do with your life. Not everybody comes right out of college and goes right into ministry. Sometimes you find it way later in life, like this guy. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for you. And we have to be faithful and be in prayer and be waiting for him to reveal that plan to us. So regardless of where you came from, regardless of your education level, regardless of your background, God can still use you in a mighty powerful way if you'll let him do it and you'll be open to it. And maybe it's not getting up here on the stage and ever preaching a sermon. That, that's just a piece of the puzzle. Maybe it's cooking in the comfort cafe. Maybe it's working on the security team. Maybe it's helping with the military ministry. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And you have skills that I don't have, and maybe I have skills that you don't have, but what we have to do is figure out how do we use that to glorify God, because he can use us. But we have to be open to it, and we have to let him. And we have to be following his plan. Just like Joseph had to go through some really difficult times before he gets to where God has planned for him. Number two, we shouldn't be boastful. And we kind, of, we kind of beat this dead horse earlier, so we won't go back into it too much. But guys, pride. Boastfulness is not how we win people over to Jesus. It's just not. You guys all know people like that. I used to work with a guy named Tony, and I called him Tony Topper. Because no matter what you've done, he's done it better. You could be like, hey, I climbed a mountain. And he'd be like, I climbed a mountain with a broken leg and a broken arm. You'd be like, hey, I rode my bike 20 miles today. And he'd be like, I rode mine 40 with one leg. It, it didn't matter what you told this guy. He could always beat it. He was a nice guy, don't get me wrong, but he drove me crazy. But is that the kind of person that you want to be with? Is that the kind of person that you build relationships with? No, because they drive you nuts. So don't do it. Look what it got Joseph. It got him thrown in a pit. All right, so how do you react to your situations? Again, Joseph had every right and every reason to give up and say, woe is me. I mean, I've been through some tough things in my life, but I've never been thrown in a pit and I've never been sold into slavery. But yet Joseph did and still remained faithful. Because remember, we find out when he's in the palace that it says God was with him and prospered him in everything that he does. Because God will prosper us when we follow him and we stick to the plan and we do his will. Last but not least, temptation. We just finished the story with the temptation of Potiphar's wife. And as I mentioned earlier, guys, unfortunately, it's not if we'll be tempted, it's when we'll be tempted. And your temptation may be different than my temptation. But Joseph stayed the course, even though it meant being thrown in prison. He still had his eyes on the prize. Still had his eyes on heaven. He still had his long-term lenses on to say, God, I'm still going to follow you even though it's not fair and it doesn't make sense that I was set into prison. Because what do you get put in prison for? Doing the right thing. It's not fair. But you know what? Sometimes life isn't fair. We get knocked down. But if we stay the course, just like Joseph did, then God will prosper us. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come to this beautiful place and just to learn another portion of your word. Heavenly Father, we pray that we will be just like Joseph, that we will keep our long-term lenses on, that we will continue to look to you for answers, that we'll continue to look for you during not only the good times, but also in the bad times, Heavenly Father. Just help us to always be on the path and always be looking to you and to keep our long-term lenses on.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everything you do for us. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. In just a moment, Danny's going to come on up and lead us in a song of invitation. If you've never been baptized and you want to take the opportunity to do that, the baptistry is warm, it's full, it's probably even clean. Um, We'd be happy to take care of that for you this morning. Or if you need prayers, if there's anything at all that we can do for you as a church and as an eldership and as a leadership team, please feel free to come forward during this song and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can.